You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com. And be sure to share. Although the Second City isn't doing in-person shows, classes, or events, we're doing all of those things virtually. Head over to secondcity.com and you can sign up for a class. We've got really affordable drop-in classes where you might be improvising with people from other countries. We're doing corporate workshops and events. And we have a whole new slate of virtual shows that you can get tickets to. Get more comedy in your life by going to secondcity.com. So this was intriguing, this conversation with Paul Denniston. Um, The publicist uh, for his book reached out because Paul studied at Second City in the 90s, um, and she thought that was going to be the point of interest uh, in the podcast. And of course, we bring that up. Uh, But he's the founder of Grief Yoga, um, which blends many forms of yoga, movement, and sound. And he teaches bereavement groups, cancer support centers, and addiction groups. And his new book is called Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. Um, my therapist teaches grief yoga, uh, hasn't done it with me, has done it with my wife. Um, and that was something I was like, wow, all right, I'm living inside this. And, and so we talk about our loss and his loss and what led him, uh, to discover this practice. So I think you're going to enjoy the podcast. The second city is a world famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance. And the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting DS And. Unsaid. Days can't be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock mark the moments till the ticking stops. Paul Denniston, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Krista Tippett on the On Being podcast typically asks her guests to start by telling her about their spiritual upbringing. And I feel like this podcast could also benefit by knowing how emotional intelligence factored into particular guests' upbringing. And you begin the book by talking about, I think, just that, right? I do. I do. You know, I'm originally from Texas, and my spiritual upbringing was my daddy was a Baptist preacher, and my mama was a Christian school teacher. So um, I definitely, you know, it's interesting because um, in this work that I do of grief yoga, um, handling grief or anger or emotions that we would consider to be perhaps negative was definitely felt from my religious background like they perhaps are they shouldn't be expressed they should be uh uh, pray them away um you know and so it was interesting for me to see how um my mother she didn't attend her uh, father's funeral and felt so much regret about that, but didn't know how to share it or express it. Uh, My father um, 
being the Baptist minister that he was, he also, I could see that there would be sometimes where a lot of anger would, would percolate with him. And then all of a sudden it would explode and it would be frightening to witness it. And so I think we, we learn from our parents. And so I did the same thing. I would suppress my sadness. Um, I bottled my anger up until it would explode and then I would get into big fights and hurt others. So it's a little bit about how, um, you know, the, the, the challenge of dealing with these emotions and perhaps judging them, even spiritually judging, to them, judging them. I like how you say in the book, quote, what if we moved with grief instead of running away? Mm-hmm. Well, I've got to tell you, here's the thing. So my, my belief in grief is that it's actually an expression of love. Right. Um, and so if I choose to love in this lifetime, then grief is part of the deal. It's, I think, that they're a package deal that comes together. So just as much as I want to feel love and share and experience love, then what if we also moved with grief, too? Um, you know, we should talk about, in my audience knows this, they went through my journey when we lost uh, our daughter, Nora, and I lost my brother, Kyle. You lost your sister, Ella, in 2017, and, and friends and, and others. And it, it is, I, I went into that process um, not understanding the physical aspects. You know, I thought maybe I could think my way out of this um, or uh, numb my way, you know, out of this. And it wasn't until literally someone sent me um, Bessel van der Kork's book um, that uh, I, I, this idea of trauma living in the body. And and at the end of that book, he talks about working with uh, improvisers uh, to sort of play um, in in, in a very similar fashion to some of the stuff that that you talk about. Um, I'm curious for you, because it struck me from reading the book that you were kind of teaching grief yoga before you had called it grief yoga. (laughs) <laughs> right and didn't, didn't yeah. uh, david kessler was the one who kind of said this is what you're doing yeah yeah so i i love bessel's work and i actually have attended his improv workshops where it's it's fascinating how in that space you assign people perhaps people or you know i i, I had a whole thing with him about assigning people who were my parents and feeling like those times when I couldn't talk to my parents in the way that I wanted to. It was an improv space of being able to do that. It's Mm. empowering work, I must tell you. Um, And um, so, you know what, it's weird. I, when I started off as a yoga teacher, um, I wasn't thinking I was going to create a practice called grief yoga. I mean, I think within the reason that I went to yoga classes was to deal with my anxiety, to deal with uh, my struggle, my pain. And as I became present with it, um, I could just feel all of the suppressed emotion that I was, I was kind of pushing down, whether it be um, the way that I would beat myself up, um, the anticipatory losses, whether it be uh, my sister, um, whether it be relationships that 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 went wrong, um, and I certainly was using addiction for myself personally too to try mm-hmm. to numb the pain. But the the amazing thing about yoga was is that it, it approaches it in a compassionate space, 
And I started to have these emotional breakthroughs within mm-hmm. yoga. Um, and I really became curious as I started to move forward as a teacher, the whole concept of creating intentions at the beginning of class. I always loved to try to like create a theme for the class. And as I started to like, especially work with, um, David Kessler, who's a, a, a grief expert and just learning from trauma experts, I just became fascinated about what if I created an entire practice with the intention of moving with grief, but I also wanted to explore the space where it was an empowering practice. Because mm. I think that, you know, come on, grief's exhausting, right? Yeah. I mean, who, who wants to be in a space of grief? But I thought, what if... Um, we could empower ourselves to take the pain that we normally suppress, learn how to channel it so it can allow the heart, the space to open to where we can have either a grief burst or a love burst. And um, so that's kind of what I created. <laughs> so there, and you go through the book and you talk, there's many branches of yoga that, that you, and, and they're including uh, laughter yoga, which of course is probably uh, uh, more interesting to, to me based on my long career at the second city, because that was something my wife and I both working here, coming back to this place of comedy might seem odd for people, but for us, it was wonderful to be able to laugh. You know, it's a fine line between laughter and tears. It is a really, and, Joni Mitchell said it. Yeah, you know, and I got to yeah. tell you, there's a balance that we need to experience in life. I think that life is filled with many different emotions. It's authentically what we're feeling and going through. But the laughter can be an amazing space to take a break from the pain. But the amazing thing about laughter is, is that laughter allows the endorphins to move through. It, it, it brings more oxygen into the body. And there's a fascinating thing that I do with, with laughter yoga, which is basically like laughter techniques. Mm. And it's, it's meant to take whatever is suppressed and move it through. So I'll actually do these laughter exercises and I'll be like, whatever you're connected to feeling, let laughter move it through. So we'll do things like anger, laughter, uncomfortable laughter. Mm. And, um, it's amazing how it will shift, and it's amazing to witness sometimes how, um, you know, sometimes that's exactly what we need to allow the tears to move through, too. It's interesting, and you, you studied at Second City in the 90s, as we were talking about before we started taping, and, you know, the, the, the terms that you get from theater like performance are when you step back from from those and thinking about them as theater terms, right? We use those terms in business, and and frankly, we should probably use those terms in life. And and there's a lot of uh, philosophers who talk about your your onstage persona and your backstage persona, and all of that is true. We're multidimensional and we're different at different times. And this acknowledgement of the t- the the twin things living inside of us, which is if you're signing up for love, you're signing up for grief, um, and that things can be horrible and beautiful all at the same time. Yes, it's a tension, um, but it's also a fact. And I think the the thing I, that I took from this book, so it's so practical, which I don't know that people would come to yoga to expect in terms of the tropes that that get handed down in terms of what, what that world, and it's probably better now because I mean, I don't think when you and I were growing up, people weren't walking around with yoga mats like they are, you know, not today. at all. No. I mean, yoga is not big in Texas. So no, <laughs> no, <it isn't. laughs> no. Um, 
Well, you know, it's interesting when I was really working with this work and 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 learning whether the many different branches of yoga that I brought to it. I think what what I really wanted to do was to create a practice that was not so much about physical flexibility. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to put the student in a pretzel, but it's more about emotional liberation. That was really my intention. And it's interesting how when I first started the practice, it it centered around grief and loss. But as it has evolved, it's really about creating space for all feelings to move through. It can live, you know, just in the same space as joy can live with grief, can live with anger, can live with hope. It's kind of like all blended in together. Um, So that really is, is how this has evolved. Okay, I'd love to dig into the various elements that you discuss in the book. And the first one is awareness. So tell us what you mean uh, uh, by your usage of that word. So I always believe, so this is following what's called a cycle of compassionate transformation within my work. And awareness is always the first step. I think that awareness of, you know, just even how you shared about how you wanted to try to think your way out of it, or then developed awareness of like how much you were holding on to in your body. So awareness is taking us from the mind to the body, and it's bringing a mind-body connection. Awareness is about observing the breath to quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. Awareness is about getting connected to what sensations are you experiencing within the body. The body has so much wisdom. And so to start to become curious about those sensations. Awareness can be anything from finding the resources that are here to support you. As I say that, I feel my sit bones in my chair and I'm wiggling my toes around to get grounded into the earth. Mm -hmm. Awareness can be a little bit about um, our core. And uh, I'm placing my hands right now on my belly to begin to observe the breath. Uh, Awareness can also be about the ways that we can gently move to warm up the spine. So awareness is really about inquiring within. Where am I feeling stuck? What are the resources that are here to support me and to connect to our intuition, our inner teacher, to start to guide us forward? It's, it's allowing us to tap in into a deeper space of the struggle because what my intention is moving forward within this particular practice is to take the struggle and to not try to run away from it or avoid it or suppress it it's possible we can use it as fuel for healing Hmm. so when i read this i immediately got struck on the things that happen when you enter that very first level a improv class where you maybe do a spacewalk and you're not speaking to each other, where you're counting bricks in the wall. And what we're really trying to get you to do is suspend the judgment of self, suspend the judgment of others, get you out of your fear brain, all the various things that you need to do in order to improvise, which, which quite frankly, is a lot of unlearning uh, in terms of how, how we walk through the day. Um, and I'm curious if, if you, like, when you, when you very specifically start with awareness and, and are are we mutually thinking of getting to a place of sort of beginner's mind? Absolutely. And that's a okay. big 
you know, part of what yoga is about to instead of, you know, focusing it on judgment, which here's the truth. We live in a judgmental world. We're all going to be judging. If we learn to accept that, that every, we're going to be judging, I judge, I'm, people are judging me right now to just live in a place where I accept that that's what it is. And I'm still just going to be, be who I am. I think that's a powerful thing. Um, to develop a sense of curiosity, I think, is a very powerful step within this. To develop a place of acceptance of what is doesn't mean I have to like it, but to just start to like accept what is. Um, I think that what you talked about, even in that space where you're walking around the space, sometimes it's also helpful, especially as I'm working with people dealing with trauma, to help them to sometimes the body can sometimes be the enemy. It's where, you know, mm. the, the trauma, the, the, the pain lives. And so a small step can be to just become aware of the space that I'm in. I'm looking around my room right now and I'm seeing the colors and I'm seeing light. And it can be a small step to just get present into the space that we're in that then we slowly take a step in and then start to get curious and awareness of the body itself. And you move from there to expression, and uh, you say in the book, quote, to process the pain of grief, you have to feel it. You can't heal what you don't feel. So that, that's a tough one for people because they, they don't want to feel it. That is correct. And um, look, I speak from experience myself. I didn't want to feel the sadness, and so I tried to run away from it. I tried to suppress it. It led to depression and addiction. I didn't want to feel the anger, so I suppressed it and bottled it up and exploded, or it turned inward, and I was crueler to myself than anyone else was. So here's the thing. I get you don't want to feel it, but it actually is if you move through it, you kind of like it, it. You move on to the next emotion. So I get you know, you don't want to do it, but I'm just speaking from my own experience. If you just, it's just like a child, you know, when a child is sad, they will cry and then they will move on. If, Mm -hmm. if they are angry, they have a little temper tantrum and they move on. The problem that happens then is, is that we move into a society where we judge these specific emotions. And so we feel like some should not be shown. And so that's where it gets a little stuck. Um, so expression is really a place that is empowering the student to take the struggle and the pain. Usually we do some powerful stuff with sound and breath and movement to just take the pain, the struggle, the anxiety, the fear, to start to channel it through. Um, it can be empowering. It can be depleting. Everyone's expression is different. Um, but the intention is to take what is suppressed and to move it through, to express it. Yeah. So w- what struck me, and this is a thing I love about therapy, was exploring my anger because there was no where I could do that in a safe place. And you say in the book, and I think this is just broadly true in so many ways, that quote, the challenge of adulthood is learning how to express challenging emotions in appropriate ways 
and at appropriate times. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that if you're angry to have like a little temper tantrum right. on the on the grocery store floor, you know, because we they've run out of toilet paper. I think mm-hmm. that it's important to to learn how to channel it in in appropriate ways ways and and you know that anger needs to move through and i recognize also anger is sadness as bodyguard so yeah. it's kind of helping it's protecting us in some ways um and it's also it's a powerful fuel too that can you know it's there's a fire to anger that i i don't want to deny I, I denied it for so long and so um there can be a power in channeling it where it doesn't hurt others but it can be a powerful fuel. It, it, it strikes me as similar to, we had a behavioral scientist on who was wrote a book about stress. And, and I think anger, like stress, has this negative kind of connotation, but you don't get to peak performance, let's say as an athlete, without stress. There's, there's, good, there's good stress uh, in terms of that. But what you have to learn how to do is modulate it and how, how to how to let it you know, rest. I mean, th- that's the other thing that, I, that I've sort of learned over time, especially in, in um, uh, working with a, uh, a trainer, is that idea of, you know, just you can't just keep going and going and going. You have you go and then you rest and you go and you rest. And, and then I think about that in the terms of like musicians and athletes. And that's that's all how they practice. You know, they, it, it, and I just it, it, it's not a it's not a cultural norm. Uh, that uh, we grew up with seeing in movies or literature, uh, though the science backs up everything you're saying. Yeah, and and well, you think about stress. I think the root of what stress is about is, is about fear. And I think of that acronym of fear as false evidence appearing real. Hmm. And so a lot of the times when we're stressed or afraid, we might be projecting onto an unknown future of what things yeah. are things are going to mess up things are going i'm going to fail in the future or whatever that is so I, I think that that anxiety and that stress and that fear is something that i'm going to live with for the rest of my life and ways to help me to check it is but right now right here in the present i'm okay everything's fine and what action can i take moving forward that can help support some of that fear and that some of that stress and we move next to connection. And this made me think of one of the very first podcasts we did was with the Reverend Dr. Samuel Wells, um, uh, who is, uh, he was at Duke for a long while um, and is now back in London. And he said to us on the podcast that the fundamental problem for humanity used to be mortality, but he thinks that now it's isolation. Mm. And I thought that was powerful. Right. And think about when we're experiencing grief and loss, we're literally coming from a place of separation, disconnection from someone or something that we love. Um, I'm disconnected. And um, I think in this time, especially within this pandemic, I think a lot of people are feeling loneliness and disconnection. I think in this age of social media with, with teenagers who are comparing themselves to others, I think that you know, there's a way that we're connected, but there's also a deeper disconnection that's happening. Um, I reflect back on the word of what yoga means, and yoga means union, connection, harmony within the mind and the body to lift the spirit. Now, within connection 
what I do within the practice itself is, is that I recognize there are three ways that we can find connection. Connection can happen within ourself. We can find connection within ourself. Maybe that's through kindness, uh, compassion. Connection can happen with others, just like I'm connecting with you right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Connection can happen through spirit, whether that's through prayer whether that's through walking in nature, whether it's me speaking to my sister and just sending her love. Um, So in the grief yoga um, journey, the connection happens within those three things, but it's really a little bit about how to find love, grace, and gratitude. Just as expression perhaps channels pain and empties it out, Connection then is about time to fill the cup up, time to fill ourselves up. Um, and so that's a little bit of the intention within connection. I thought about this in, in terms of the way we have tried to evoke Nora in, in our in our living world. And, and you know, we, have, we always associate her with the moon. There's a long story around that. And so we have a little moon uh, a thing that we put in our garden that has a solar powered light bulb. So it lights up at, at night. Um, and then so many of our friends have found ways to evoke it. I don't know if you're watching Ted Lasso, which is a great, yeah. So I did, how long are, are you done with it? I'm still in the first season. I'm about halfway in the first season. So I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still moving through it. So, so I haven't, I've not talked about this publicly, uh, but Jason Sudeikis, who I hired at second city many moons ago, uh, he, um, in the first season talks about Rebecca's goddaughter, Nora. Um, and he knew that that was going to be a character that he would base on our, our daughter, although she was a little uh, older. Uh, and then our friend, Ashley Nicole Black, who writes for the show, requested that she write that episode. So in episode three of the second season, um, we meet Nora and she's sassy and she's funny and she has a green head scarf, all of which are the things that Nora had. And it was like such a lovely gesture of that is something that's going to live forever in people's Parts in, my, in, in, in that particular series, which is coming out of time for, I think, many of us, which is like, oh, my God, this is a series about being kind in community, right? I mean, it's, it's, it was a really lovely gesture, and, and, and it helped, I found. Well, it's the way that Nora can live on. It's yeah. that, that um, I, I really actually think that's beautiful. I think what, what we're wanting to do is, is the, these people who have, such, have had such an impact on our life how can we keep their memory alive? I think so many people are afraid of like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to forget. And so what, what people will want to do is, is they're going to be like, they're going to hold on to the pain so they can remember it. But I, I also believe that there's a way that we can remember with love. I, my sister who passed away from cancer a few years ago, Ella, who I dedicated this book to, I'm looking at a picture of her right here and, Mm -hmm. and I bring her with me in this work that I do. She's a little bit of like, like a an angel that's supporting me within this work and and I also reflect and remember on some of the things that she taught me she taught me um the to be kind to strangers she taught me to you know to witness that sometimes how I have such challenges with my my parents and to learn to forgive them yeah. um she taught me how to 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 laugh and 
dance even in the face of cancer. So it's those qualities about her that I want to bring forth in my life so she can still live on. And I think that's why you also talk in this chapter about gratitude. Um, and we do a lot of work with social scientists and there's so much research, so much evidence around the incredible power of gratitude to help us through many challenging situations, speaking through difference um, and uh, as a way to kickstart empathy. Um, there's, and I think you say this in the book in, in, in a way, uh, which is there is a fake it till you make it aspect that is actually thoroughly appropriate here where like, say the words, you know, perform, perform the acts. And sometimes the, 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 the body and the, and the brain will follow. I sometimes also think that gratitude isn't so much of a feeling, but it's a decision we make. It's mm-hmm. a decision to just say, you know, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for loving me. Thank you for breaking my heart. Thank you for, um, because it makes me, you know, appreciate life more. Um, and if we just start to decide to be grateful for it, um, it leads us. It leads us there. Um, and it's it's one of the fastest ways to change the struggle and the suffering. And it's not always easy. Sometimes people who are in, you know, the depths of despair to try to come to a place of gratitude might be challenging. And. And in no way am I wanting to bypass the struggle and the pain. In some ways, that was why we needed to express it first um, so that we can start to shift it to be thankful. Yeah. Okay, so then you move to surrender. So you go from connection, which I think we all understand. So talk to us about why surrender is important. You know, surrender is a place of of letting go. And sometimes, you know, when sometimes people will have a resistance about letting go, there's a grasping that happens, whether it be within our own body, a grasping within our heart. You know, as I work with people, they'll say, like, I don't want to let go of my loved one. And in some ways, what I guide people to do within this embodied practice is to learn ways to soften within the body to stretch and relax, but to also hold on to the love. So these are restorative practices that where we can find a little bit of sense of ease, perhaps a little bit of a place of, of, of trust. Um, it's ways to, to be gentle with ourself. And, um, you know, there are times where if someone is struggling to surrender, sometimes just even a soft prayer of just help me, help me to let go, help mm-hmm. me to soften, help me to release the depression, the hurt, the the anger. Sometimes even just that words of help me can be a way to begin to slowly release the grip, to soften with ease. And, you, and your next chapter is around evolution. And I'm curious, like, do you, can you get to evolution without surrendering? Because I suspect you can't. It's I. It's it's. Um, I I can't see. It's it's hard to see it happening. Um, right. You know, usually within a classroom situation, um, surrender is kind of where we close off. But I didn't feel like I wanted to finish there, and so 
evolution is is really about how can we take the devastation and how can we transform within the ruins how can we become the phoenix rising above the ashes and so within evolution it's about moving towards perseverance moving mm. towards play moving towards purpose so it gives us a space of direction on on how to move after loss i think that so many people can feel stuck and and i think that we have to sometimes as we evolve we have to learn how to adapt and learn how to change and so um we're all evolving so hearing you talk about that it feels to me like this movement from evolution to transformation is akin to what social psychologists call post-traumatic growth that's correct. That yeah. is correct. Okay. Yes. Who am I now after this loss? Yeah. You know? Yeah. How do I move forward? Yeah. Because, I mean, I, it, and this is a tough thing to wrestle with because it can bring up guilt. But I'm a better human for having gone through this experience with my daughter. I, I have more empathy. I am kinder. I'm a better listener. I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I know I am. Um, would I change all that to have her back? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But to deny it feels like foolish on everyone's accord. Um, and 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 it, it's interesting. I, I you know um, in therapy this week. Uh, and then in a text exchange with a friend, and then in your book. So three times people brought up this Ram Das quote, which is we're all just walking one another home. And, and my wife, Ann and I, we created an improvisation for caregivers program. And we did a, a keynote on it this week. And I mentioned that at the, sorry, as we were winding down and the host of it said, I think you, or no, Ann said to it, she goes, you just ended our session. And, and that's where we ended it. But it's a really beautiful sentiment. Right. I, I, I believe that. I believe that. And, and um, we're all just walking each other home. And some people might be going home earlier than we are. And so um, I, I do believe that sense of, like, you know, community and that sense of support. I recognize that, that we're all struggling. Is there a way that we can find that connection helping each other um i do think that it can help to evolve some of that pain and to um to recognize that sometimes helping can be healing mm. all right in a second i'm going to ask you for your yes and story but before i do that um you talk about rituals uh in in, in this chapter um and and i think there's an element that also ties to storytelling because uh, you say a ritual quote a ritual has a beginning middle and end mm -hmm. and at second city when we're teaching people to improvise and improvise scenes. We're saying you've got to have a beginning, a middle and an end. I mean, it's like, it, it's, and it sounds so rudimentary, but I don't think like <laughs> there's a reason that we're focused on that. And, right. Uh, and, and, and I think it has ultimately to do with the cycle. That's why you're calling it a cycle. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think rituals are very important, and I think that we've somehow kind of lost touch with those. I think the ritual of just even, whether it be, yeah, live theater or uh, the ritual of a birthday, a ritual of a graduation, you know, the ritual of a funeral. I think these, the, these are moments where we take the ordinary moments and make them special and sacred. And I think that the more we can try to make those rituals special, I think that, that, that um, the more meaningful life can be. All right. So we always end the podcast by asking our guest for a yes and story. I mean, you've lived a yes and life, but I'm wondering if you have a particular mm-hmm. story for us. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, um, I spent years um, in addiction, um, always turning to sex, drugs, and rock and roll to try to numb the pain. And I had many friends of mine who tried to help me with it, and I always said no. Um, and part of that was because I didn't feel like I could release them. I felt like they were these these addiction things were my um, the way to help me with my pain. And finally, when I came to a place of like, you know what? my rock bottom, I need to say no to this so I can say yes to life, so I can say yes to living with more meaning and purpose, yes to living with grief, but also living and seeking more happiness and joy. So by saying no to these addictions, I basically said yes to um, to life and all of its glories and pains (laughs) (laughs) that is lovely uh the book is called healing through yoga transform loss into empowerment paul denniston thank you for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me kelly it was great talking with you getting the sn is produced by second city works and wgn radio our editor and producer is lf garris we get support at the second city from jenny crowley abby bumblebear mike farinaccio and colleen faith the music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by jukebox the ghost if you have questions guest ideas or if you want more information on working with second city works you can go to www.secondcityworks.com or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com Feet.